When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. I'm Lucas. And I'm Grant, and we are so glad that all of you are listening to this podcast and joining us on this journey of discovering good music. If you like what you hear, go down into the description or whatever information area is part of the listening platform that you're on. Leave us a review, leave us a like, um, subscribe if you so, you know, are daring. If you want to get in on the conversation, we have both a Facebook and an Instagram page at Good Music Podcast. You can suggest whatever artists you want to listen to. You can even suggest volume twos. A lot of people don't know that you can do that. But if you want to hear a particular volume two, then go ahead and suggest that. And you'll also get updates on what the next artists are. And you can possibly get in some giveaways, which I know we were doing at one point. But we may bring that back. So definitely, you're going to want to check that out. If you want to support the podcast or if you're just a true lover of good music and you want to get early access and exclusive access to some exclusive content check out our patreon page the link is in the description and you're not going to want to miss that but we are so glad that if all you're doing is just listening we are so glad that you're here and we are continuing our special month this month our genesis appreciation month so if this is your first episode on the podcast then you are totally put right in the middle of the weirdest context because not only is this a volume two but it's the volume two of a very special month so lucas who are we talking about so we're going to be talking about peter gabriel and like uh grant said this is actually our second peter gabriel episode so if you're unfamiliar with him then please go check out the first one but whenever we did the first Peter Gabriel episode, I already knew that this was going to be the follow-up. This was was kind of the first time that when I was doing a volume one that I picked songs strategically knowing already what the volume two was going to (laughs) be. Because I wanted to make sure that I didn't pull key moments from what we were going to be doing in this. And ever since then, I've kind of thought strategically about future episodes and kind of just going, you know, if I'm going to do this with the next one, I want to make sure that I've still got a lot of the great songs to either that time period or that theme or that record. Right. So you mentioned that we talked about, you know, mostly the eighties period in our first episode. And now we're moving on to a different period. And we're also taking the live spin on things with this one yeah so um 
just kind of a brief oh and and kind of by the way this being genesis appreciation month one of the cool challenges was figuring out a way how to have a month that's themed specifically around a certain group of people and yet every week i feel like we've got a completely different sounding artist and set of songs oh that is definitely true as well as three different decades because our genesis volume two episode was entirely in the 70s phil collins episode was entirely in the 80s and then this is a live record from the 90s. So we've got a different decade each episode. We've got three very different approaches to music. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the 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 challenge is to not make it sound like we're just talking about the same type of music the whole way through. I feel so, like that was done pretty well because a lot of this music that we're going to talk about today is completely... I mean, you use the term, like, world music, I think, in the last After Hours section for Phil Collins, and I think that's kind of a good descriptor. There's yes. a lot more interesting and lively sounds. Well, that's that's a, that's an actual genre of music. That's not right. just a, uh, a term that I came up with. Right, right. And it's something we didn't really talk about in the first Peter Gabriel episode. I know, um, yeah. And that was that was another thing that was deliberately by design because once you get into the world music side of Peter Gabriel, it's it's more foreign sounding, and I pun was definitely intended there. Um, it's it's un uh, it's unfamiliar to most listeners' ears, mm-hmm. and so kind of if you want to get into Peter Gabriel, kind of like that first episode, those songs was a great first step into just kind of understanding the type of artist Peter Gabriel is. Mm-hmm. But really the world music side of Peter Gabriel is the true Peter Gabriel. Oh, this is, this is really at the core of an artist who he was in his solo. Career. Did he do this and kind of thing in the eighties? Yes. And we just didn't talk about it. Oh. He, he did it. I wouldn't say he did it in the 70s. His first two records don't really have that influence. Um, the first record was really kind of just a bit of a continuation of what he was doing with Genesis. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still, you can you can see an easy thread line there. The second record is him developing the creative side, that, that aspect of more smartly written pop music rather than more of a rock record. Mm-hmm. But the third record is where the world music influence really started to come in. And that was that f- third record came out in 80. Um, particularly, there was a song he did called Biko that was not just like his first major four-way into world music, but also one of the first... Uh, times that a Western artist incorporated any music like that. Oh, so he was kind of like the trailblazer. Yes. Um, it got, it It finally really entered the mainstream in the late 80s, early 90s. I think particularly of Paul Simon's Graceland as being kind of one of the records that helped popularize not just world music, but kind of the idea of bringing in all kinds of different styles of music from different parts of the planet. Um, I mean, really, you could trace that back all the way to the Beatles in the 60s, yeah, but exactly. but that 
it really wasn't taken to its full limit. It was, it's not mixing Western music with Eastern music. Rather, it's, they are legitimate, um, you know, attempts to use um, African and Middle Eastern and just Eastern music in general and really crafting something that has less to do with pop music, but still has that at its core. Hmm. If that and makes it, any sense. Would, is it like a, like a melting pot kind of mixture thing? Um, or would different artists be biased towards different sounds? Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, world music is not tied to a specific part of the world. Mm-hmm. Although I would say that, probably the most of where it comes from is is incorporating um traditional african uh instruments and musical styles mm-hmm. probably also the middle east would be the other major um place where a lot of that is coming in mm-hmm. uh, it sounds it sounds very exotic it's very tribal um but it's also has this very cool sophistication to it yeah um, it's not it's not just a simple you know um barbarian way of playing music like it's it's got its own language literally and figuratively mm-hmm. that really really helps peter gabe when you pair it with peter gabriel's compositional style makes for some stuff that's truly very unique mm-hmm. and from the very beginning peter was a huge um spokesman for making sure that western culture experiences this kind of music he put together a festival in the mid 80s called womad um i'm gonna try and remember what that acronym stands for um world of music and dance that's what it was and so he like he risked his entire career financing that festival wow and it the first year he did it it failed miserably just because it was it was an entirely new concept that people were just like what the heck is this well apparently it's still going on according to google oh yeah it ended up becoming the second year is when it became like this huge thing first year was a bit of a disaster in fact he had to do a one-off genesis reunion show just to recoup the losses from that hmm Wow, and that was the last time that 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 classic lineup of five ever played together live. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, he he the way he describes it, he's just like really every style of music that we play has its roots in Africa, mm-hmm. and we we like to forget that sometimes. But I want us to really see that. That's where we all come from musically, and we should be putting it back to the forefront much more often. It's kind of like our history of music, like looking at where our music came from. Mm-hmm. And so he is a he, like he's a he's a big time humanitarian, um, really a a great philanderer, and he's just Peter Gabriel is is a good cool dude. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that he is able to to 
bring all this into the mainstream and the way that he did it. And particularly So, we talk about So being this huge pop record, but it's got quite its fair share of um, world music elements in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's from his third record on, it's been a pretty big proponent of every one of his albums. And I would say probably 91's Us is, I would say that's probably the one where it's, it's steeped the most where it's it's the most pervasive throughout just about every song on that record. Hmm. So if someone like me would want to listen to more music like we're going to talk about, that would be the first stop. Yeah. Um, three of the songs in our set are from that record. Oh, wow. So there you go. Um, I would I would say besides his sound, if you really want to get deep deep into it, go into his soundtrack work. Yeah, well, I mean, but soundtrack is something else entirely. Yeah, but man, let me tell you what his soundtrack work for um, Last Temptation of Christ is is quite exciting. Is it? I've, soundtrack like lyrical soundtrack there are no words in the entire thing nice but every every track for the most part is very interesting okay so then riddle me this there's no lyrics in the whole thing but mm-hmm. we, we talk about peter gabriel as being a great vocalist so what what other instruments does he play here like what what uh part does he play in the writing process does he write everything or does he just bring the right people together well he does he does a a lot of the arranging and he does like on these soundtrack records he'll play something on every track okay um to where it's not just him bringing in people and more being a behind the scenes guy um but you know he'll he'll bring in experts that play these instruments that he's just like i'd never even heard of this instrument before and then i heard and i was just like oh where can i get one of these and they're like well none live in europe (laughs) and he and he finally found one in france that wasn't a full-time musician he was a jeweler and he was just like hey you know i heard you play this on the side will you come play on my record because i literally can't find anyone around here that knows how to play it he's like yeah sure i guess okay i i take this as not a hypothetical this actually happened no this this actually did happen i just can't remember the name of the instrument it was a strange it's a strange instrument that i'd never heard of before um but apparently it's a it's it's very popular in the middle east Hmm. but yeah he's he's actually a pretty good keyboard player like he's not someone that's going to be like a you know tickling the ivories like playing all these crazy lines and grooves but um period a lot of times throughout the secret world show he is behind the keyboard playing you know a lot of chord based stuff he he actually is a pretty decent drummer Ooh. it was one of the things that him and phil always connected over when they were in genesis together was that they were the two drummers mm-hmm. and there was a lot of times when he would be on stage and he would have a kick drum that he would constantly be hitting because he wanted to have some kind of rhythmic thing to do. And it's also why he was always very selective on getting the best possible drummers that he could because he had Mm -hmm. a high standard. Mm 
Well, I mean, yeah, he had. And and the thing forever. and the thing you'll find in a lot of his world music and really in his music as general is that there's always an underlying groove to everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, through through you'll notice throughout these songs that there's always something underneath even what the drum kit is playing, there's a beat that's constantly holding the song together. Implied or somebody actually playing something? Well, I'm pretty sure that it's on a track. Oh. In the, in the live. So I think we should go ahead and start talking about the actual Secret World show. Yes. So so what year is this? And this, I assume this is a following an album, promoting an album? Yeah. So this was in 94, and this was promoting us. Okay. And it was it was at the end of that long touring cycle. Wow. Um, the, it was recorded over two nights in Italy. I believe, wow. it, was, I believe it was in Milan and it is a stunning, uh, design. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit about my personal history with this concert. Okay. Um, I, if you remember, my dad actually name dropped this with, um, among the stuff that they would watch a lot for inspiration, mm-hmm. this was a this was a concert video that before they did every tour, they would watch it and go, "Okay, this is what we want to do." This mm-hmm. level of of excellence and showmanship. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I guess we can't see anything when we're listening, so I know. I would highly recommend after. Um, recording that you go watch the the full thing is on youtube oh wow the full the five full hours or however long? five no it's not five hours <laughs> it's like two okay um yeah the whole the whole concerts on youtube i i went back and refreshed my memory many times so what they have is they have two stages and mm-hmm. They have, and the way Peter Gabriel describes describes it is that there's a a masculine stage and a feminine stage, and okay. these two stages are connected by a conveyor belt or a oh, treadmill like okay. apparatus, and it's a long, um, a long platform. So it's think a- about like if you were in a if you were in a basketball stadium, mm-hmm. it would be a circular. Well, no, it wouldn't be completely circular because they have the big stage. So you've got the big backdrop that's at one end. Mm-hmm. And it's got the video screens and kind of all the backstage stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you have the masculine stage that's right in front of it. Mm-hmm. And then you would have this platform that goes quite a long way and ends with a circular feminine stage where the masculine stage is rectangular in shape. So it's like a long runway with a little little destination at the end yes and the way that he picked the songs and the order that he put them in depends on um whether it's a feminine song or a masculine song (laughs) and sometimes depending on the context of the song itself you'll have this interplay between the two stages and the way that that helps is that if you noticed well i'm sure you had to have noticed there's there's two singers. 
Mm-hmm. You've got Peter Gabriel singing, but you also have Paula Cole with him, mm-hmm. who is an incredible vocalist. Evidently, yeah. She, I mean, she smashes the parts that she sings. Mm-hmm. And so on songs where there's a specific relationship that's being emphasized, you'll have Peter on the masculine stage and Paula on the feminine stage. And there's all, all this subtext. It's all story, visual storytelling. Okay. So that in of itself makes things really interesting and not just a let's look at everyone performing on stage. So there's not there's not uh, a lot of – well, okay. There's more than we're just going to talk about from the music. Yes. There's so much more happening. Not really... only – so not Go only ahead. that – but every single song has its own special um its own special little thing that gets to happen either a big prop that's used or a um a video trick or just something to where it's not every song is just them on stage there's some kind of gimmick with every song that's nice and it's all bore, and it's all tied bore, to the meaning of the song. It, it's nice to not bore the new fans, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Peter good. said that this tour and this show in particular was what he always envisioned the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway actually being. That is, wow. He was. He said he was scared for a long time to ever try anything like this after The Lamb did so poorly. Again, not poorly as in people didn't show up or like it, but that nothing worked the way that they planned. Mm -hmm. And that it just it didn't it didn't come off the way that they wanted it to come off. Mm -hmm. But the audience didn't know what was supposed to be. So they just assumed that it was all cool. But this was kind of like him actually getting to try everything he wanted to try, and it worked. Because, you know, well, you got 20 years of technological innovation coming in. It really makes things a lot easier. Well, and to not make things seem sour, but he didn't have the other guys in Genesis telling him, no, it's a bad idea. That's also true. So He had complete creative control. He had complete creative control and complete creative responsibility, right? So if things went wrong, he would be able to fix it. But man, everything really went right. Everything went right, yeah. Well, so let's I mean, talk it's... about some of the cool things that happen in this show. Okay, go ahead. So, and I'll I'll get into more detail about some of the ones that are part of our set. Mm-hmm. But um, the opening uh, song in the show is "Come Talk to Me." And there's a giant phone booth. And I'll describe when we get into the describing the songs exactly how that phone booth is used because it's really creative. Um, you've got these giant steam guns that are blasting during steam. Mm-hmm. You've got a massive tree that comes up out of the stage for Shaking the Tree and Blood of Eden. You've got, um, you've got a, I guess what you would call a uh, predecessor of the GoPro, but it's one that's on a uh, an, an, on an adjustable wire that he's mm-hmm. wearing on his head for the song "Digging in the Dirt," which is all about examining one's psychological um, issues, and he's using it 
as a way to where he's he's got they've got this big video screen in the back and he's using it to shine on his own face and it's got a fisheye lens on it so it's really unflattering and he's intentionally making these really disturbing faces and jerking it all around to show that kind of the theme of the song that the the closer you look the uglier things get Mm -hmm. and so he gets really creative with all that stuff um you've got the song itself secret world that's got um the on the conveyor belt the whole song is about going home going to a new place and the conveyor belt turns into like an airport um like the luggage claim mm-hmm. so they put they put all these suitcases onto the conveyor belt and there's a little trap door at the end of the masculine stage and they're all putting their suitcase on and it's all just coming going down and then eventually they themselves go down and that's the end of the main set of the show is that each band member one by one goes down into the hole that how do you keep sound happening um again some of the tracks help because during that uh, part you've got that looping um rhythm that's playing underneath Yeah, and there's a lot of help with a lot of things. (laughs) Yeah, Um, for Kiss That Frog, they've got a big uh, water pool with all these inflatable frogs, and there's a camera underneath the pool that's showing kind of because it's like the the bottom of the pool is glass, Mm -hmm. and so you can see them, and they're constantly throwing frogs in, picking some out, dancing around it, and it's just it creates this really cool visual um, aspect. You've got uh, San Jacinto with the use of the conveyor belt, but this time there's people in completely black outfits, and they've got uh, hand lamps that they're moving in synchronized pattern as he's slowly moving. So he's he Peter Gabriel's sitting at the front of the conveyor belt, and he's at the front, and all these people in black jumpsuits are behind him, and they're creating this incredibly complex light pattern dance behind him. This as is like Super Bowl as they're moving kind of forward. Stuff. Like, did he ever do the Super Bowl? No, it's a shame that he didn't. I feel like that would be pretty iconic. Like the stuff you're describing is 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 peak live performance. Yes, it's it's an incredible marriage of visual and audio art. It's good. It's good that the visual art isn't you know, something completely unrelated. Yeah, it's all thematically tied. That's so cool. I'm trying to think if there's any other really interesting ones. Um, all of them. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got, you've, got a, you've got Across the River, which the most of that song takes place on the masculine stage, but it's all mm-hmm. about transition and about getting to the other side and the way that that song ends is that they all get on the conveyor belt and move across the river to the feminine stage Ooh, cool and it's, it's very atmospheric and very like just the whole time something is happening things are moving and there's there's lots of choreographed movements um, I'll talk about some of those whenever we get into some of the songs because they're really fun and really bring a lot of energy as well as there's there's a good amount of humor to it. 
Ooh. like some of the dance moves that Peter Gabriel uses are meant to intentionally be awfully funny. <sighs> like when he when he does sledgehammer, he has this bizarre movement where he um thrusts his hips while he's banging both of his fists on his forehead. Oops. And it's the weirdest movement, but yet like it works because he's Peter Gabriel. Yeah, that's true. Some of the dance moves he uses in in Steam and in Shaking the Tree and In Your Eyes are are they're just they're they're meant to be like overly corny. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like that's what makes them cool, if that makes any sense. Oh yeah. Like you can you can totally see the self awareness. Like they're doing it to just have fun and they're not taking it the dance move seriously. Yet they're not freestyling. Every single move is planned. Mm. It's amazing cause and not just him, but all the bandmates. Even the drummer and the bass player have dance moves that they do in accordance to specific parts of certain songs. Hmm. Wow. But yet it's like it's all a bunch of of older dudes and Paula <laughs> just like you can tell that they're not cool the cool people. They're yeah. not you know they they don't look like they're in in sync or yeah. you know these these bands where when they try and dance like it's meant to be really cool well i mean it's so so talking about look i mean we talked about in the genesis episode how peter gabriel would have these weird costumes i mean uh-huh. did that did that carry over no he wears one outfit the whole time ah i mean I, the it's thing it's easier the, to do the visuals if you're always on stage i guess yeah, the thing that allowed him to do that in Genesis was that you had these long instrumental breaks. And True. even when there are instrumental moments, Peter Gabriel's doing something on stage. So there's there's really not ever a point except for probably like in between the main set and the encore where he actually gets to be off stage. Does he like does he still have eccentric like visually eccentric outfits and stuff or is he just like no it's all i mean black, it's kinda? it's it's not well it's not all black it's it's kind of a weird outfit but not in the sense of because it's outrageous but just because it's kind of like a bit more of like kind of mismatched clothes oh so he just woke up and went to the concert yeah <laughs> and that's and i think again that's that's why and that's what the way most of the band looks like too is they're wearing kind of like dated uncool outfits but that's also what just makes the the lameness of their moves work because it just it looks like a bunch of dads <laughs> up on stage just like not really caring what people think about them they're just going to do the moves that they like to do mhm it's i can't even really describe it accurately the, it's the only... because it's because they're not they're not like doing the sprinkler or you know they're not you know doing the the shopping cart like they're not like moves that are that bad but it's like it's moves that like you wouldn't expect them to do but then like somehow they work and i think the other thing is that there's a, there's this 
throughout the whole show, even in the serious parts, there's this very palpable sense of fun and unity up on the stage. That's, I mean, what you're describing now is like a Jacob Collier concert. I haven't seen a full one, but I've seen snippets and they show up in like, you know, normal lounge around the house. Oh, I'm going to Walmart kind of clothes. But it's like these top musicians that are really great and they go in these crazy improv sections and Jacob will get the audience involved and have them like sing along to the songs and like direct them like a choir. And it is pretty like fun, but you're not going to get the super choreographed I'm the best dancer, Michael Jackson kind of stuff. Yeah. Unless, you know, oh, that's something that one of the musicians just happens to know and they're just kind of having fun. You Mm -hmm. get that sense of it. And so that's probably, obviously, me not having seen the full version of either of these shows. That's probably a comparison I would make. So maybe that's a very ignorant comparison. Yeah. (laughs) Like um, Tony Levin, who plays the bass, um... Uh, in in this show and he's he's peter gabriel's main bass player which i'm I'm not sure if you know but he's also the guy that plays in liquid tension yes isn't he big in something else yeah king crimson oh i knew it was something from that he, era. for some reason i thought it was the who he wasn't the original um bassist like he doesn't play on court of crimson king but mm-hmm. he was their main bassist during the 70s and was, continues was to be he... Was he on Discipline? Maybe. Because I, I remember know. there was some pretty active bass stuff on that. I don't rem- I don't know my King Crimson as good as I should. Doing an episode either. on them would fix that. Yeah, that's true. Hey, maybe. Go down. Go to our Instagram and request it. Guys. Well, the, the thing that <laughs> prevented me from getting into Queen Cr- King Crimson for the longest time is that it took them forever to get all their stuff on Spotify. Like, it... it came in like probably like mid to late last year they were one of the last big holdouts on getting really? their stuff on streaming the only reason i knew court of the crimson king was because i got it on vinyl and listened to it that way that's the way to do it though mm-hmm. i saw that album art in the store and i was just like oh i gotta get that mm-hmm but yeah, his I would say the biggest thing though that he is known for is being Peter Gabriel's bassist. Huh. Um and he's he's done session work for so many people. But like his outfit is that he's got like a massive big trench coat, <laughs> um, wearing like a white button-up shirt, black dress pants, but then like white knee pads and like tall black army boots okay wow um their piano player jean-claude he is wearing like the top half and really when you're watching most of the show you only ever see the top half of him because he's playing keyboard but he doesn't like play sitting down like he's like a stand-up keyboard but they only show him really from the front and he's wearing what seems like a tuxedo Mm mm-hmm but only the top half is a tuxedo. You see the bottom half, and he's wearing um, thigh-high spandex. <laughs> I was about to say something like swim shorts. Yeah, oh my pretty much. Like it's like it's skin tight, and it like goes up to his. It only it like it only goes down to like his mid thigh, and then he's wearing just like shoes and socks. Yeah, um, we have to do a, a Zoom interview. That's what you wear. 
Yeah, so it's just like these these are the kind of outfits that everyone is wearing. It's not they're not like bizarre like colorful crazy like someone's dressed up as a pirate or someone's dressed up as a monarch or not like the way that Peter Gabriel would dress up in Genesis, but it's it's not normal either. So it's just there's so many aspects to the show that are so visually striking. And then you just add on top of the fact that everyone's just playing their butts off. Yeah, that's apparent. So let's talk about personnel who's involved in this show. Eight drummers. No, a just million. one. Wow. Okay, never mind. Well, I guess we'll start with the drums. Yeah, let's do that. Um, Mr. Manu Kache. Shaking two trees. Yes. Um, which I don't know if you remember uh, us bringing him up in our For Him episode, but he actually played on a couple of my dad's songs. Oh, that's awesome. Not any of the ones that we talked about. But I once he told me that, I went and listened to them. And I was just like, oh, that's absolutely Manu. Um, Manu has been Peter's go-to drummer since so. So he's the one that plays on Sledgehammer and Big Time, but he doesn't play on any of the early 80s or the 70s stuff. So how do, how's the drums set up then? So there, when there's multiple drum sets, I know. The, also, his drum kit is on wheels, so anytime that there's like a transition moment where there's no drums, you'll have stagehands adjusting the drum set to get to a different spot. There is a drum set on both the male and the female stage, mm -hmm. but the whenever it's not on the female stage, it goes under a trap door where you can't see it. Okay. That's so, like, they, they definitely are very strategic on where the drums are going to be at whatever point in the show. Yeah. Um, so you got Manu playing, who's just, he's such a bizarre drummer, mm -hmm. but in a great way. Like, just the way he plays, the way he does fills, he, he does hits in places that I would never even think to put hits. Yeah. It's so unorthodox, and it always feels like it's not going to land on the one, and yet somehow he, like, forcibly, even against the laws of physics itself, puts it back on the one. It sounds like he has more in his drum set than usual. It's actually, I mean, it's not a, it's not like a, a basic kit, but it's not like, you know, it's not Neil Peart sized. It's not even, I would say, normal metal drummer sized. It sounds like he's got some some different sounding toms. Or yes, some he's very sounding, particular like, on the way his toms are tuned. I know that for sure. Kind, kind, of, kind of the world drum sound. Mm-hmm. So those are toms. Those are not like those, whatever they're called. Now, again, <laughs> there, there are a lot of drum machines that are looping through click tracks ah so there's going to be some things you'll probably hear that are going to be like that and it's the stuff that's going to sound the same every single time through the progression because again the reason that they're doing that is because they've got a lot of video stuff that's synced up so it's like they have everything is highly highly executed and planned in this show even even if 
in the like they know when the improvised sections are going to be yet they might play it different each time they do it they are planning for jam moments instead of it being oh let's just go into a jam just because we feel like it are they always the same length or do they even factor that in um i mean here's the thing the this actual specific show was only done twice this wasn't the way that the whole tour was so Milan got something special. Yeah. So, I mean, again, they had the tour where they did the songs and I'm sure that there was probably a really interesting production as well, but this particular lineup, this show was all created specifically for this moment. Wow. Now, again, there were two nights. What, and I know there are some differences between the two nights because the audio version that we listen to and the video version are different. Some parts are the same. Some parts are different. And so it's, they each are, are a unique combination of what happened between those two nights. That's nice. That is nice. You get, you get a little bit more if you listen to both media. Mm-hmm. And it tripped me up the first time because I watched it first way back in the day and then went back and listened to the audio. I was just like, hey, wait a minute. They lengthened this part. But over here in this part, they shortened it. Oh, wait, he doesn't say that part right there. And it also makes sense why some of the audio doesn't completely match up in the video is because even the audio on the video is compiled from both of the nights. Oh, okay. Just to to give the best possible representation visually and the best representation um, audio. Or some some editor really slaved over. Yes, all that. Wow, they really did. A lot of work. Um, We already mentioned that Tony Levin plays bass, right? Right. But he also has some really funky basses that he plays like you know what a chapman stick is no chapman stick is one of the coolest instruments and i want to have one someday okay it's it's kind of like an upright bass but there's like there's like 16 strings on it and instead of and instead of like playing it the way you would play a normal bass you have to actually like tap everything. And that's actually what uh, he plays on the majority of liquid tension. What? what? <laughs> oh my goodness. Like it's not a normal bass that he's playing, you know, with the, with the frets and, and either using a pick or using his fingers, like with a Chapman stick and, and John Me Young uses a Chapman stick a couple times in dream theater. Like, you know, the song new millennium, um, from Falling Into Infinity? Yes, that's what I was about to... I had the album in my head, yeah. Yeah, that whole intro, that... That's all played on a Chapman stick. That's where I first learned about it. I have to look this up, because I can't even visualize what you're talking about. It's bizarre. But he plays that a couple times, and then there's a couple songs where he takes um, two drumsticks and, like, attaches them to his picking fingers mm-hmm. and like instead of instead of you know plucking them with his fingers he like smacks them like they're a percussion instrument 
Oh, that's kind of cool. I'm pretty sure that's the way he plays that really cool bass moment at the beginning of Big Time. Where everything sounds slapped. Yeah, it'd be really hard to slap on something like this. Yeah, I'm seeing the images now. And man, you have to be you have to be good <laughs> to play one of these things. Good yeah. lord. He plays electric upright in certain parts and even plays it while using a bow. Ooh. That is kind of cool. And then other times he's just using a plain old bass. Plain old electric bass guitar. Tony, Tony Levin might very well be the best rock bassist alive. Not just because of his pure skill, but the sheer amount of versatility that he has in playing every single possible bass in every possible style. Yeah, that is true. I mean... Because he has the shred ability of... He's got the shred ability of every great shredding bassist, but also at the same time, like there's literally not a way that you can play the bass that he doesn't know how to play expertly. Hmm. Maybe, maybe we should bring him onto a, a, a cover in the future, you know? Oh man. That's I'll just call, I'll just call him up. <laughs> yeah. We'll just call up Tony Levin. Sure. <laughs> That'll work. Yeah. <laughs> um, we also have, uh, we talked about Paula Cole. She does all the, uh, all the female vocals and right. Um, she ended up actually having a pretty big solo breakthrough after the uh, after the Secret World tour. Was this her first big thing? It was her first major thing because her she was still working on her first record when she went out with him. Okay, and I, that definitely elevated her profile. Yeah. <laughs> um, you've got David Rhodes on guitar. David and- Rhodes. Yeah, and he, he, I would say probably of all the musicians in his band, he's the one that's been with Peter the longest. Hmm. Like, he was there with him even in the 70s. Probably about the same time that Tony Levin came in. Him and David and Tony have been kind of the two main components long-term in um, in his group. And he, oh yeah, he's got an awesome outfit like he just looks like a normal dude that you'll just see like walking down the street like he's he wears a hawaiian shirt (laughs) and just just looks like an like a normal guy and what's what's very interesting about him is that you really don't hear the guitar very much yeah it's it's much more of a texture of a of a support instrument and he has specifically said that he's not interested in guitar solos and virtuosic moments that he he is naturally much more interested in doing things that that add color to the song rather than doing things that stand out spoken like a true rhythm guitar player yeah but he's not even used in the rhythm guitar aspect as much like he does play lead lines but Mm -hmm. again you're not going to hear this big solo coming from him yeah that's true i mean there there was a big lack of and i don't mean this in a bad way but there's a big lack of virtuosic guitar moments it just sounded like one giant sound of cool Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know no No one uh, instrumentalist, really, for the most part. There are some moments, you know, 
that they kind of show off a little bit. But I would say Manu Kache probably shows off the most. Yeah, and and and, and Tony Levin. Tony Levin with some of those bass lines really cutting through the mix. Mm-hmm. You know? The rhythm section definitely is the more um, pronounced part of the group. Yeah, and and there's some horns moments. So I mean, obviously there must be like a horn section or a keyboardist or something that must be tracks. I think the majority of it is tracks. Cool, 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 cool. Just because it would have gotten in the way with a lot of the visual that they were going for. Um, we talked about John Claude Namro doing the keyboards. We did. And is this, is this his big thing? Um, he. No, because, I mean, he wasn't – Paula was the only one that really got, like, a big boost after this because the rest of these guys, they're all background guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tony Levin and Manu Kache are the types of people that were already famous for what they did anyway. Yeah. They didn't need the boost. And then everyone else is just like, that's just what they do is they're part of groups. They're assist players. They're not the kind of people that are looking to increase their popularity and fame. So he he wasn't really Jean Jean Claude I think was special for that tour. But was he, he he didn't have anything of his own or with another band or not that I know of. Interesting. Now, of course, I'm sure he's one of those guys that's played on like tons of sessions, but I don't think that he's not that I know of that he has done super famous. Hmm. Um, but I do want to bring up uh, Shankar. Who? So he is the guy that he gets a lot of cool vocal moments. The, the When you hear the high-pitched, wordless uh, kind of cry singing, that's Shankar. Okay. And he also plays the electric violin throughout. <laughs> yeah. And he is one of the big stars in the world music uh, world. In the world music world. He's <laughs> from India. And wow. when he, when Peter Gabriel started to get into world music, Shankar is kind of one of those guys that's been like on all of his big world music songs with him. Nice. And kind of has been one of his, one of the people to kind of introduce him and, and get him into the right stuff. So, like, um, there's a lot of other moments, particularly Across the River is kind of like Shankar's big spotlight song because it's very atmospheric and very, um, very sparse. But Shankar's kind of like the big star of that song. But he also gets a lot of great moments in In Your Eyes as well. We'll talk about what those moments are when we get Whoa. into the set. And talk about the songs, man. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm missing any of his main um any of his main players. Oh, so there's more. Now, I mean yeah, there's 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 some people that are playing kind of just more in the background. Mm-hmm. Like you've got you've got um, a lot of some of the more tribal instruments, uh, the world music instruments are being played in the back. And now that I'm looking, it does look like we do have some horn players. I just can't remember seeing them on the stage, but it could be that they were backstage, just not contributing, but not being part of the visual part. 
And then, of course, we have all of our guest vocalists that come in at the end of the show with In Your Eyes, uh, with Papa Wemba and his band of players and singers. I did not realize we had a bunch of guest vocalists in that. But we'll talk about, we'll, we'll do some name dropping, I'm sure, when we get to that. Yes. I think at this time, it's time to start talking about the songs. Yes, it is. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the six songs we have picked for this Peter Gabriel Secret World Live episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We have been talking about Peter Gabriel's live Secret World tour in 1994 and we're talking about all the great musicianship on that and now it's time to actually talk about these songs that we'll be talking about and highlighting in this episode so every episode we like to pick six different songs of course most of you already know this because this is a volume two but we pick six different songs to highlight and showcase what we're wanting to talk about and hopefully introduce you guys properly to the artist or maybe that aspect of the artist that we're talking about if you want to listen to these songs and trust me you want to listen to these songs there's a link down in the description of every single episode it links to a spotify playlist that has all of the songs from all of the previous episodes so you can listen to these songs and if you find other songs in that list that you're interested in we have an episode on it otherwise it wouldn't be in the list so definitely go listen to those and Without further ado, I think I hit all the major points, but if we missed any, then, you know, listen to another episode. Um, <laughs> let's get into the first song, Come Talk to Me. So, I mean, obviously, when you're doing a live show, whenever possible, you want to make sure that you got the song that opens the show. Well, you know, you kind of open the show. You kind <laughs> of immediately get into a, a rough spot if you don't have the opening song. You, it's also kind of hard when you don't have the closing song, too. That's true. That's true. Well, and this is this is such a atmospheric opening for such a lively show. It's a very yeah. weird, like, reverby bagpipes. I mean, everybody's kind of clapping along to some rhythm somewhere. Yeah, how. so this is also the song that opens that album, Us. Ooh. But... Does it open it the same way? It does not open it the same way, no. Oh, that's it cool. Actually, on the album, it goes straight into the first verse. It just, it comes in like you, you hear that, and then all of a sudden all the drums come and the bagpipes come in when the drums come in, and then it just goes into the first verse. Mm. But um, the way that this show starts is that everything's black on the stage. And as that bagpipe comes in, a phone booth comes up out of the masculine side of the stage. Mm -hmm. And Peter Gabriel's inside it. And as he sings, please talk to me, he's on the phone. That's kind of cool. And so I'll, I'll talk about what the song is about. So in 88, Peter Gabriel got divorced from his wife. Uh -huh. And the song is actually towards his daughter who got alienated from him during that whole process. Mm. And so the song is, is a plea to his teenage daughter to reestablish connection with her. And so 
so he's in the phone booth and the phone booth comes up. And as soon as the, the rest of the band comes in, that's when the curtain behind the, um, the phone booth comes up and that's where the, you see the rest of the band there. And they actually, um, Jean-Claude and Manu, their, um, their platforms get wheeled out. And then of course, Tony and David, uh, walk out. Mm-hmm. And so then he sings the first verse inside the phone booth still. But as soon as he gets to that first main chorus, he steps out of the phone booth and you see then on the feminine side, Paula Cole standing, reaching for him. And he starts to move past her in the, or towards her. And the phone is, has a cable to it that is held down by people underneath the stage. And so it's like, he can, if he pulls really hard, he can start to make his way down the the big platform towards uh, the feminine stage. Oh, this is kind of cool. And so he's he's pulling on it and tugging at it and slowly making his way. And and it's just it's a really cool visual. And so it's it's again the thematic being that the masculine reaching out to the feminine to have connection. Mm-hmm. But once it goes to that bridge and it gets into the last chorus, that's when the conveyor belt turns on and he starts getting pulled back towards the phone booth. Mm. And the people under the stage are also pulling on the rope. So it's like, he can actually like lean on it to try and pull it, but it's still pulling him towards. That's kind of smart. And throughout the whole show, he's got a headset microphone on. So that way he can have both hands free to, do whatever he needs to do. Oh, so you can hear him breathing. Yes. <laughs> Although I'm sure, I'm sure you probably could live, but I think that they edited a lot of that out in, in the post-production. <laughs> well, I mean, head, headsets, Mike, you can't really uh, control that distance. A lot of singers like to, when they hit like a high note or something, they have to go really loud. They'll pull the mic away a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't you don't get that crutch when you have a headset mic. So that's kind of impressive, actually, that he's able to control his voice continuously and do this. You know, he's not exactly standing in place. No, he's, he's not pulling on this cable. You know, and so yeah, the song ends with him hanging up the phone, like literally, come talk to bang, and he hits the phone onto the onto the back into the receiver. Mm. And so, yeah, the whole song visually, there's so many cool things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's also talk about musically. So what was, what was really standing out to you as you were listening to it? So, I mean, the first thing, thing. obviously I talked about it, like the bagpipes and the different sounds and the ambient, and it just like came up with these huge drums. I mean, most of this song is just, big drums and that's aided by the fact that it is live um obviously there's some very tight harmonies and that's going to carry through the entirety of the of the show but of course you have like the bridge sections where there's just a lot of drum craziness it's yeah sounds the, very, the, the breaks yeah it sounds very um primal you know very but but very happy mm-hmm. not primal in like slipknot way 
Like every everything feels very happy, even though this song is kind of sad because you're like trying to reestablish connection with somebody and you really can't. But like there's there's a hope to it. Right. There it is. It's very optimistic. Like a, a lot of this music, I'd have to say, it's, yeah, I'll, like all of these songs are very optimistic. It's a tender plea for reconnection, not a desperate plea. Yeah, not like, oh, come, come talk to me or else, you know. It's, it's, it's reassuring. Right, right. It's, it's, it's the way that a father would talk to their daughter. Right. And I think and, that that frames a lot of the way it's framed, a lot of the way it's presented rather than, let's say, a, a husband and a wife trying to talk to each other, where it's maybe a little more forceful, a little more, listen to me, dang it. Mm-hmm. It's it's more of a you know just like it used to be. Yeah. Yeah, and and the other thing is this song is six minutes, right? But you don't feel it. You don't feel it at all. No, and for and for being like a three verse song with like a couple breaks here and there and like a cool intro, you know, you're not going to necessarily fill up six minutes, but it does it feels like all of that six minutes was full of important moments. Um, and you didn't have like any of those long instrumental jam sections that yeah. can, that can bring you into that seven, eight minute range. It didn't have any of those. And um, so I, I don't know where the time is coming from. It feels like the time just flies by. It's just, it's because the, the, pace of the verses and choruses are slower Maybe. yet still very deliberate mm-hmm. it's they they allow for each section to develop the way it needs to develop yeah that is true that is true but like some of some of those instrumental sections are still just short maybe okay maybe they're short compared to some of the other sections i should say yes and yeah the verses don't feel long nothing feels tired um, obviously it is the opening song, so I guess everybody's kind of got their A game on, playing with maximum energy, and it's just it's just a nice opening. And it's cool that you have the visual of the uh telephone in the hand on the cover, and then the first song is Come Talk to Me. It's uh-huh. almost like he it's almost like he's inviting everybody to like come experience the the music. Yeah, I, I that was just it was just a really good decision to have that be the first song for so many reasons. So and really, it really sets the precedent of kind of when you see that you're going to go, oh man, well is every song going to be like that? That's mm-hmm. not like that's not one of the special songs that oh for two or three of the songs we'll have this cool thing. Oh yeah, with the phone booth, yeah. Man, it's it's hard to remember that. There's visuals because we're talking about the music, but see now your your head is thinking just like man, what could this even look like? Some of these, yeah. Well, I have I have a visual in my head, and probably when I look at everything, it's going to look completely different. <laughs> probably, but wow. All right, well, let's move on to the next one. Let's move on to the next one. This one totally slaps, as the kids would say. This is steam. <laughs> steam. It. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like Sledgehammer. Yes, and and that's what a lot of people have uh, noticed as well. Was that intentional? Um, I don't think it was intentional. 
I just think it's the fact that it came from the same um, musical headspace. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it is the same subject matter. Yeah, it's it's about <laughs> sex. Okay, no no cool nuances to this one. No, Peter Gabriel just likes to do that sometimes. Just just sing about getting it on. Well, I mean that's makes for good pop music. Mm-hmm. And and once again, we do have a cool ambient opening, but which, which is not in the original. Oh, okay. So once again, a different arrangement. Uh huh. So the real, the the song starts when it comes to with that. That's where the song normally starts. Yeah, but instead we get this reverby piano and these really mm-hmm. light drums and wow. And like it doesn't it it makes you feel like it's kind of a sad song. And then yeah, then with that you know whatever that line is that has the word steam in it. I don't even remember. I don't pay I didn't pay much attention to the lyrics to this one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty simple. It's it's the it's the same approach as with Sledgehammer where you're just you're mm-hmm. using a lot of metaphors. But the the whole the whole passion inside of that song is that groove. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, oh my gosh. Um so visually in this song, um so they start off in the masculine stage and as the song, as once the groove kicks in, that's when he starts strutting down the, the the walkway and making his way back and forth between the two stages. And mm-hmm. I mean, I I have to say it. Not only do you have this this visualization of the masculine feminine side with the platform in between, but if you were to take an aerial view from it, it looks like a thing. Okay. I'm trying to think of how to say this as family friendly as possible. Are you sure that was intentional? I mean, I, I think it kind of was, especially the way it's one of the few songs that and Sledgehammer in the show where he is constantly moving between both sides. Okay, I'm gonna using his most provocative now. dance moves. Again, sardonically, and um, and then of course every time he says "Give me steam," huge steam jets shoot up. I, I don't know. Maybe it's a stretch. Maybe it's not. Could it be. is Peter Gabriel after all? He he would be the kind of person that would make that connection and go, "Oh, okay." Yeah, he's not someone that the details slip by him. It's true. Well, maybe he just hopes no one else. Did. I don't know. Well, you you did just notice. I don't know. I'm looking at it. Some of the angles I'm seeing. Oh, so are you actually looking at a picture of it? I'm I'm googling it right now. It's not the biggest stretch in the world, but mm, and. Here's a cool thing. I am listening along right now, and mm-hmm. there's a little lead line, a little guitar lead line here. So this song really does stand out compared to the other songs of this set. Yeah, it's. I would say it's as far on a playing standpoint, it's got a lot more going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's closer and, to regular pop. Yeah, and also it's cool. Every time it goes into that 
Tony and David have this really awkward, cool, synchronized two-step thing that they do. <laughs> that it's 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 so visibly awkward that it's hilarious. Like they're like they're swinging their guitars back and forth and um, doing these weird steps, these weird fake steps, and then like all of a sudden going backwards. But they're like doing it like perfectly in sync with each other. Which is again just like all these moves are choreographed. They they rehearsed and went okay. When this part happens, you two are going to do this move together. Mm-hmm. Do you think like Peter Gabriel was kind of like micromanaging that, or I it... I have to think that he was. Mm. Which is again, if he's going that far to make sure that every step is carefully planned, then I think that he's the person that would see the connection of the stage. Okay, that's fair. Nothing is really left up. Everything is so intently designed. I will concede this point. Given I'm not the expert, I didn't. I didn't do any research for this episode, and you did. But honestly, I didn't make that connection until I was researching for this episode, and it kind of all of a sudden hit me. I was just like, "Wait a minute," because visually, this is one of the songs that has the least amount of things happening, and I kind of wondered why. And now that I, that kind of was just like, okay, it's the whole thing is metaphorical. Obviously, it's really cool when you got the big steam jets. They also shoot up whenever he he does that big high note in the chorus. But cool, yeah. So, gosh, this show has to have cost a lot. That's why they only did it twice, and they didn't do it for a whole tour. Well, but I mean, like they. It's probably also the reason why they had to make a video of it. They needed to sell this on multiple mediums probably to pay for that show to come well, out in the plus. But, like, they they have so many expensive props for, like, one song, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rarely anything is used multiple times. Yeah, golly. That, it, it, like, that's cool from an artistic standpoint. And a lot of artists are not able to see their vision come to fruition with stuff like that i'm glad he was because i mean if you think of like some underground band you know like for example genesis you know um had they had the funds and the technology that he had at this time like you said lamb lies down on broadway right it would have been really really cool and those early prog bands probably could have gotten away with doing some really crazy stuff so, yeah, I don't know. It's, he, just, it's something to think about, and that's really cool. He definitely had to be at that part of his career to be able to pull this off, because it it had to have taken, I'm sure, a lot of investment, a lot of risk. Mm-hmm. And they and all had to they all had to trust that Peter knew what he was talking about, and they all had to trust each other to actually play their stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't you can't have your guitar player going off and getting high before the show, right? It's true. So. That is very true. That's definitely not Peter's band. Which, I mean, you can't do that in general, but, <laughs> I mean, for Pantera it worked. But uh, that, that worked for a little while. Well, yeah. But to a certain it, point. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't drugs that caught up to him. It know? caught up with Phil. It, well, okay. That, the, the whole drug thing kind of worked for them. 
in in the in the glory days, right? It would not have worked for a bunch of dads getting on stage and playing world music. You yeah, know? <laughs> <laughs> well played. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, like I said, this is kind of this is kind of another sledgehammer, but that doesn't mean it's like we talked about in our ZZ Top After Hours. It's not like dipping low in the lap of luxury kind of yeah kind of remake. It's you can't you can't really trace it unless you're very familiar with one of the songs. Mm-hmm. So so yeah so so Steam was another song off of Us. Okay, which is which which was the follow up. If you're not counting. Uh, uh, Last Temptation of Christ soundtrack was the follow up to so, ah, oh. but there was like a six year period between the two. Man, I mean, see, that's how you that's how you do a follow up. That's how you do a follow up song. And it was and the most it, su- it was the most successful song off of us as well. For good reasons, got a great groove. I think it, I think it went top ten. Man, when that groove comes in, oh wow. The little horns. I could like I could talk about that horn section for another hour. It's it's definitely groovy. And how music theory just makes it have to work. And yeah. I, I think it's hilarious <laughs> that you use the word it slaps because that's one of the songs that Tony Levin puts on his drumstick fingers. <laughs> oh wow. Well there you go. And just and, and literally slaps it out. And there's there's some cool little licks here, some cool little keyboard licks. Oh yeah, the little organ. Yeah, I'm sure it didn't sound like that, but you get the idea. (laughs) Yeah, but it's not. It's not overt. It's not like they're trying to take over the attention of the audience. Mm -hmm. Just kind of adds to that whole fun atmosphere. Little taste here and there. Yeah, yeah. So it's it really is just a bunch of guys getting together, having fun, and oh by the way, it's like a million dollar production and it's in another country and there's 200,000 people there but you know we're just jamming having fun there's probably not that many people there well okay there's probably like 10,000 people there okay well you know I don't know how many people fill a stadium if I were going to try to fill a stadium with my fans I'd, I'd get lucky to have 20 so I mean there's, there's probably 20 <laughs> I mean but the, the stage takes up a very large portion of that Oh, that is true. Of of potential seating. So. That is true. Let's move on to the next one, because this next one's got so many cool things going on in it. Ooh, yeah. So we're dipping into the nine-minute range with mm-hmm. Shaking the Tree. Shaking the Tree. Um, so this is the – this is one of the songs that really shows Peter Gabriel's world music side. Oh, yeah. Um, so at this point in the show, this is this actually t- comes a couple songs after Steam. Um, after Steam comes across the river, which is a huge shift in atmosphere. And then um, there's a there's an instrumental ambient interlude in between uh, crossing the river where they all get on the conveyor belt and just move to the feminine stage while Peter Gabriel has a rain stick that he's constantly turning upside down and up to, and it's got a mic on it. So it's got this big washing sound. 
And then once everyone gets to the feminine part of the stage, he holds the stick up and strikes it down. And as soon as it hits the ground, the the beat to Shaking the Tree starts. That's kind of cool. And once that happens, a big thing in the middle of the stage opens up and a big tree rises up. So they're all on the feminine stage, right? Yes. Now. Uh-huh. Wow. So they've all completely migrated like you like Manu and Tony and David and Jean-Claude all of them uh have moved to that part of the stage and when they start off really um Jean-Claude is the only one that's playing everyone else gets in this awesome cool circular dance around the tree no the trees on the feminine stage yes so everything that happens in the song is on the feminine stage Wow. And so when they do that, um, they all like raise their hands up in unison and then put them down. And then when they say, we are shaking the tree and he plays that little piano line, they all do like this quick little uh, dance around the tree. <laughs> the, the visual of that. It's so charming. And then each time they do it, a different musician goes to their instrument and starts playing. Ooh. So the, the number gets smaller every rotation around. But the sound gets louder. And the sound, because you can hear, you know, okay, here's where the bass comes in. Okay, here's where the drums come in. Here's where the guitar comes in until finally it, it breaks big into the bridge. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have – so, again, it's, it's, it's so cool the way that even something as simple as that song, just like they, they add this little fun aspect of we're going to all do this choreographed dance during the chorus, but every single time we do it, someone else goes and gets on their instrument and makes it a little bigger. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, too, is like you talked about how this is world music. Mm-hmm. And they're like singing in another language. Yeah. Do you know what it is? Um, I'm pretty sure they're singing in Swahili, but I could not tell you what the translation is. <laughs> okay. But the whole song is about, um, and this this is what makes it so, um, gives it so much sense that it's on the feminist stage. It's all about women's equality and women's rights. There you go. It's, it's okay. your day, a woman's day. That makes sense. I was like, I was like, why are we all on the feminine stage? But Wait, waiting your time, you're more than just a wife. Don't want to do what your mother has done. This is your life. That's kind of turning cool. the tide. You know, you are nobody's slave. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah. And then it breaks into that bridge, mm-hmm. and then the horns come in, and every, it's just it's like it reached critical mass. But it didn't feel like it crescendoed into that. It felt like that was just the natural, natural way to go. You also a get of, a lot of this felt very broken that way. Yeah, we get Paula's first little solo moment in the show at this point. Mm, yeah, with with the verse, the third mm-hmm. verse, or yeah, the third verse, which Peter normally sings in the studio version. Yeah, and then right after that bridge, get that, get the Tony Levin Manu Kache jam shaking his tree shaking yeah. two trees yeah which man that 
that drum bass groove is is sick. This he's playing a electric upright, I believe, on this song. <laughs> and so that's why it has that that nasty tone to it. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool because he's he's got it standing up and he's still like swaying from side to side and it sways with him. That's and so awesome. It's such a cool looking bass. Yeah. And you got the guitar and piano still there filling in space, mm-hmm. but really letting the bass kind of drive the sound, not just the groove, but like the whole sound, you know, un- until, until Peter comes in with kind of that scatting kind of sound. Yeah. Yeah, this this song definitely gets to have a lot of great improvisational moments. But again, like I was saying, you know that they probably have a set number of bars they know they're going to do it for. So the visuals is all, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure that each time that they would play that, that something different would happen. They're, they they probably, I'm sure, didn't play in note for note everything that was going to happen in those segments. It really, they still got to let it be a improvisational jam. They just knew that they had a certain time frame in which they were going to be able to do it. I imagine by the end of the tour, you kind of have been set in your ways and figured out what works. Mm-hmm. But also so I feel like these are the kinds of musicians that they literally could do whatever they wanted. Yeah. These are, true. these are not your simple average musicians that can only handle doing it one way. I mean, Especially with that rhythm section, they could literally take that anywhere they wanted to take it and not even have to think about it. Yeah. That is true. Yeah, you guys are really great players, man. Wow. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is this is kind of one of the songs that they really get to show off for a little bit without any vocals kind of sitting on top of it. Uh-huh. And there, there's one section kind of towards the end. It, it fakes you out on the ending. Yeah. And then the audience starts cheering and then they're like, wait, oh, it's still going. <laughs> Which I, I find that kind of funny, but I'm not regretting the fact, or I should say I'm not against the fact that it keeps going because mm-hmm. it has, it still has this nice kind of just vibe to it you know yeah it's and this is such a joyous song yeah you can't help you can't help but smile and dance to it Hmm. maybe maybe we uh maybe we could identify your favorite song well maybe (laughs) Maybe, we'll see yeah we'll definitely see i just realized we didn't even do first thoughts but Uh, oh well well. it's too late now yeah (laughs) we just jumped right in we're we're just so excited we'll talk about it in final thoughts oh we definitely will yeah so uh stay tuned for that but let's move on to the next one this set so um in the video blood of eden is what comes next in the set okay but in the audio they insert a version of red red rain almost said wed wayne red rain which they don't even do in the video one and i'm oh and i don't know where if that was maybe not recorded maybe not even on that night but they wanted to add a little something bonus in huh but um this does come after i know for sure in 
the set. Like, this is not something where they cut it Red Rain out of the video part because they use that tree for the next song. Mm. And I don't know how they would have used the tree for three songs in a row. They would have had the tree turn into rain and then the rain would make the tree grow again. What an intelligent statement. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame the visuals for these, you know, but a tree works millions of dollars shows, you know, tree works so well for this song though. This was, this was, this was getting bang for your buck here. Because obviously you have, you know, the garden of Eden being the main symbolism and Adam and Eve being kind of the, the main theme of this song. And so having the tree there obviously is very powerful. So you've got the tree being this and shaking the tree being this celebratory object. And now in blood of Eden, it's a, it's a sign of sorrow and, and hurt. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. So we have a not happy song here. Yes, we do. Oh, Blood of Eden. What a beautiful song. Well, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about the meaning, I should say. So this is this was a song about his divorce. This was about him knowing that his marriage was inevitably about to end, but him trying to figure out a way to, if not repair it, then at least delay it, the inevitable. Yeah. And it's it's insinuated that the way he's doing that is through sex because that's the the man and the woman and the woman and the man kind of he's he's trying to to go back to what brought the first man and the first woman together before the the introduction of corruption when mm-hmm. everything was pure and everything was easy and simple and immediate mm-hmm. and so i think that it's 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 trying to return to something that was the initial symbol of unity and purity. Mm-hmm. But yet, but yet he still sees that it's not working, that it's still, everything's still falling apart. It's so sad. This sounded like a very tranquil song and now it sounds sad. Well, yeah, because I mean, I, I picked up from the first time I heard it, that this was not a happy song. I mean, I just know. just listen to that that painful anguish scream that he does halfway through. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, it, that's 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 a cry of agony. I don't know. I didn't pick up on that. I thought he was just kind of showing off his voice. No, that's 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 some. It's because that's the moment when when they're when they're consummating to each other mm-hmm. i'm trying to be very descriptive on not being too crass here mm-hmm. um but i think that it's it's meant to be like he says right there a moment of bliss and yet still the hurt is there mm-hmm. it's kind of it's kind of both at the same time wow but during the whole song obviously like the lights go way down and they there's all these red filters so of course you know with blood you've got the you've got this red lighting throughout and um 
they're everyone's obviously kind of more pushed back to the edge of the circular part of the stage and the whole time um peter and paula are kind of circling each other around the tree reaching through the tree looking but never being on the same side of the tree the tree is constantly between them does she have a headset too no she uses a handheld ah like the old school days (laughs) man i don't know it's i didn't pick up on this being initially a sad song because i it like it resolves to a major and not only that but the melody resolves on a nice major third uh it's just i think it's interesting though that her harmony resolves to the one but his doesn't if you were to just listen to his voice it it finishes unresolved it's finished for her but it's not finished for him i mean if you want to get super, super, super technical and put the themes in, then okay, I'll give that to you. But resolving on the third, major third, I, I think that kind of counts as resolution. Yeah, but not happy resolution, I would say. Oh, man, okay, okay. We're going to have to I pull mean, out the whiteboard with the music theory now. <laughs> it doesn't to but... me. To, to my natural... <laughs> instinctive hearing okay well science doesn't always prove things right sir (laughs) sometimes your heart's got to tell you well and yeah okay so speaking about heart right having that scream in the middle of the song that Mm -hmm. really not a scream but uh like that kind of that that big yeah that very strong Uh oh yeah man and it just and it just goes to nothing and the audience just you know eats it up right Oh, I yeah. I would too if I were there. I was mm-hmm. like when I first heard it, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is like that's actually pretty good." It was nice. I don't want to say it's like pure because there was kind of some rasp in his voice, but he had such a good tone. Like, oh yeah, he take away all of these instruments and everything. Like obviously, with all the instruments, and we did talk about that in the first Peter Gabriel episode. Like so many layers and so much instrumentation and overproduction and all this stuff, and his voice sounds great there but his voice also sounds so good on its own. Yeah. Man. It I guess sure we have, does. We have the violinist singing here too at the end. Is that correct? Um, he's, I believe, yeah, he is singing at that part there. Thought I heard a little bit and I was like, Ooh. so this, this is the third song from us. I, I didn't mention earlier that shaking the tree was actually not on a record it was a standalone single from 90 oh so come talk to me steam and blood of eden are our representatives uh-huh from us because it's it's his divorce record uh, so it's true. kind of about just all of the relationships and I, I mean steam was kind of just more of the one of the few bright spot songs on that record hmm that's that's not that's not really that's not about the the failing relationships in his life it's it's just trying to write the hit on the record or probably just i got a great groove let's turn it into something yeah yeah true, true. that's probably really what it was that, that i'm sure that groove came first sometimes you got a good groove and you just got to do something that's that's the way sledgehammer came that groove came yeah. first yeah that's the way a lot of 
you know, good song starts with that good riff or a good groove or whatever. And you just mm-hmm. turn into yeah, what a what a hauntingly beautiful song though. Because there is there is beauty and tranquility. Yes. But I mean, just again, you go back to the lyrics and the verses, there's some really desperate things being said. Is that a dagger or a crucifix I see mm. held so tightly in your hands? And all the while the distance grows between you and me. I mean, I mean, that's that's an indictment right there. Maybe this is maybe this is my shortcoming and not listening to lyrics that I completely missed the mood of the song. Maybe. (laughs) Because again, there is what it is, is that this song is musically the music is showing the the attempt to kind of forestall everything to just to just not worry about all of the turmoil that's going on and just like ah, retreat to these moments of pure happiness Mm. it's trying to it's trying to cover up i can hear the distant thunder of a million unheard souls well and and to you know kind of show what he wanted it to be Mm-hmm. Like, like the goal is insert sound, you know. Like, like, like he said, and come talk to me, just like it used to be. Oh yeah, that's what he wants. Poor guy. Let's move on to the next one. This next yeah. one is oh so sweet. Well, that it's a nice turn of events because we did talk about a very sad song, and now we have don't give up. So this is so we actually are skipping a large portion of the show here. Oh. And these last two songs are the two songs of the encore. Oh wow. Okay, so we skipped. I mean a big everything. reason why is because a lot of the songs from that point on are songs from the first episode. This is where you're going to the, the that that second third of the show is where you'll find Sledgehammer and Salisbury Hill and those songs. Man, maybe I do want to watch this performance because I remember those songs being really good. That version of Salisbury Hill, I think, is better than the original. It's Ooh. really good. Mm. Got a they got a proper drum beat behind it, and it just gives it so much push. Uh, I might have to take you up with that. If I have uh, time, if I can find you know two and a half hours in the next few days, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so the way that the main set ends, like I said, it's with the song Secret World. And so the rest of the band kind of goes into the same little trap door that all the luggage goes in. But Peter actually doesn't go in with them. He walks to the feminine stage and a giant dome descends and covers him. And as soon as the dome touches the ground, the, the music stops. And everyone claps and kind of, you know, a minute goes by and it's just like, what's going on? And then um, that bass line starts. Boom, 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 And the dome lifts and the band is all underneath it on the feminine side. That's awesome. Oh, so the dome is opaque. Yes, you can't see through it. Oh. And that so, yeah, is... you the dome lifts and the whole band is there. So it's somehow they were able to travel underneath the stage, get onto that 
part of the part of the stage with all their gear and just go into it. Awesome. That's so awesome. Wow. Such a shame that there was never a Peter Gabriel Super Bowl halftime. I know. Would have been cool. He could have done some cool stuff. Yeah, maybe 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 you could get him to coordinate someone's. That's probably our only hope at this point. Hmm. Him working with someone else. I don't know. Um, so this song was originally on So. Oh. And this was one of the big hits from the from the record. The original person that he duetted with was Kate Bush, which we talked about was her this... a lot because she got nominated for Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this last this year. This was originally a, a, a duet as well. Yes. But this version, I think, is so much better than the regular. Uh, I don't – there's a lot of people that love Kate Bush's voice on the original – but I think it does not hold a candle at all to what Paula does on this song. Man, I mean, this I, I can't see how it would. If if there was a moment that propelled her to being able to become a superstar all on her own, it's her performance on this song. Yeah, there's this... there's a whole section of the song. It's just her. Mm-hmm. And and again, it makes sense that this is on the feminine stage because it's, you know, the, the, the male side of the story is down, broken, defeated, and the feminine side is the, is the encouraging voice, the, 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 uh, the one saying, come on, get up, it's not over, you can do it. Uh, don't give up on the show, guys. We've got a couple more songs coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, this is this is such a beautiful song, and it's it's really quite an original concept as far as lyrically, because you this this isn't this isn't even really a romance song. Uh-huh. It's this is this it almost takes on a role of a like a motherly voice, a a soothing, calming. You know, it's saying it's not saying you know I love you. You know, I I have all these feelings. It's just it's just a pure encouragement of just you got this. You can do it. We're still here with you. It's not even I'm still here. It's we are. Huh. You still have friends. We're proud of who you are. I believe there's a place where we belong. I didn't see. I didn't pick up on this. When but times get rough, you can fall back on us. Oh, so the whole point saying not only don't give up, but you're not alone. Not not only am I here, but you have an entire support system. So and that's and that's a, the, the, I think one of the messages they're trying to get across is that no matter how hard things get, you're never alone. So was this necessarily prompted by a certain event or did he just decide to write this? Um, he said it was seeing all of the uh, all of those famous pictures of people during the Great Depression, particularly the Dust Bowl, mm-hmm. and just seeing that these were people that truly lived through hard times, the hardest times that most Americans ever had to face yeah. and just and just wondering themselves, how did they make it through? And then relaying that with in the 80s in England, that was kind of like the equivalent time when unemployment was rampantly rising. Companies and 
and stores were shutting down. It was a really hard economic time in the 80s in England. And so comparing that with that, he just he tried to get into the head of what's a song that touches on what they were going through without it being dark and miserly. Or without it sounding preachy. Yeah. But it also really, it, it taps into the, the failed image of masculinity. You know, when Peter sings, I was taught to fight, taught to win. I never knew that I could fail. And how nobody wants you when you lose. Mm-hmm. Just that, that whole idea of just like the image of a man is a man always wins. A man always provides. If you can't do that, then you don't deserve to live. Mm-hmm. And just that, and that and the reason why so many men give up when they experience failures because culture has taught them that a man always has to succeed. And then just mm-hmm. kind of the identity crisis that comes along with a defeat or a setback. Mm-hmm. Man, see, I'm so glad I asked that question because I assume this was like an anti suicide song, but there's a whole lot to this. Wow. No, I mean, it's, I mean, suicide is one of the, well, one I mean, of the elements in it. Cause I mean, you've got that, you've got that second bridge after, after the big, um, female bridge, he comes in with his bridge. Um, I'm going to walk out of here. I can't take it anymore. Keep my eyes. Uh, I'm going to step from that bridge, you know, pretty much him at that point contemplating ending things. Well, but it's not just. It's not just that. There's more to it. But there's it's more, not, yeah. Yeah, which it's which is nice. It is not someone that's just arbitrarily or for other reasons experiencing depression. It's about someone that the world is pushing against them as hard as it can. And it's it's acknowledging the fact that, yeah, this is really hard. Just don't give up. No matter how hard things get, don't give up. And this is a song, particularly for me, that has meant more and more to me as I've gotten older. Because mm-hmm. I hadn't really experienced a lot of hard times when I first heard this song. I was I originally thought, oh, this is really pretty, this is cool. But as I've gotten married, had kids, had jobs, the burden of taking care of my family... And having my fair share of failures and setbacks, this is a song that has grown so much richer and so much sweeter to me the more time has passed. Mm-hmm. Because it's just like, I, I understand what this what is being sung here. I, I, I understand being at those points and just going, oh man, what do I do? It's, you know, the it's nothing's going right. How do I keep going? And then just hearing that voice of don't give up is just like, ah, okay, I won't give up. Mm-hmm. That's nice. That is, it is nice. We, we get a We get a nice personal experience with that. Yeah. That's always good. And, and a positive personal experience. You know. <laughs> not, not like the ghost episode with the, with year zero and the swerving truck. <laughs> I, I remember you were kind of horrified a little bit when I was telling you about that, but uh, or at least you looked like it. But anyway, I could yeah, that was back when we did episodes face to face. I could see 
the horrified state in your eyes. Oh, what did you just do? <laughs> That's going to become like a new thing in our episodes is all of your really bad funny puns. ways to transition. <laughs> I've been doing this for so long now. I know, but it's it's starting to become more and more... Overtly uh, bad. Yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah. change. Don't give up on that. Don't. Oh, boy. See, I can fight fire with fire. I, I, can't, I can't use another song from this. Um, well, okay. I have a couple. I have a couple for our after hours. Well, I have one. It's pretty obvious which one, because your last okay. name is not Mister Evans. But yeah, definitely, definitely join us for our after hours, patrons. Shameless plug. Anyway, yeah, let's move on to the next song. The big finale. The the big finale. The eleven and a half minute finale. But man, you really don't feel like it's eleven and a half minutes. Not really. I mean. When I was listening to this set the first time, and I got to the end, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is actually kind of a long set. Like, I've been listening to this thing for quite a long time, but it was only six songs and feel very long. And then I look at the time for In Your Eyes, I'm like, there's no way that song was more than like six or seven minutes. And here we are at <laughs> 11 and a half. That's the sign of a good song. You know, we say that a lot. So, In Your Eyes, this has become Peter's signature song really yeah like even more even though sledgehammer was the number one hit this is the song i found more and more like is has the one that's come to define peter gabriel's career and there was probably people that listened to our first peter gabriel episode and thought why the heck did he not talk about in your eyes and it was because i i almost put it in the first episode i was just like no i've got to do a secret world episode and this is the song more than any other that has to be in there Hmm. so there you go it's the big closer there's so many cool things going on it's actually probably one of the as far as like props and like gimmicks it's one of the simplest yet the whole vibe of this song is that everyone's just having a big party on stage like at this point, everything's free form. Everything's been let loose. There's uh, no, there's no shackle to we got to do things this way. It's just let's just get up here and have fun. So that's why we have very little visuals. So what do we have? So we are still on the feminine stage. This is where the whole encore set happens, and. Um, we do, this is, this is when our guest musicians come out. If you remember the part when he says the legendary voice of Papa Wemba and, and you have the, um, you have him coming out and singing in, in a different language. And it's, you can definitely tell it's someone that has not sung yet in the set. Mm -hmm. And it's just, and he's got some background singers that come up that have their own like specific choreographed dance moves. And it's just the whole thing is just everyone is moving, obviously, except for like, you know, the keyboard player and the drummer. They have to be tied to where they are. But everyone is just running around, like jamming with different people. Um, there's a conga line at the very end where they're just like. <laughs> They're just having fun during the big in your eyes. They're just, they're just, they're just having a good time. That's awesome. 
This is awesome. That's how you end the show. Mm-hmm. And this, this is traditional of how he plays in your eyes. It's always the big ending of his shows. And it's always this huge celebration. So is that why you'd say it's the definitive Peter Gabriel song? Well, the reason it's become the big Peter Gabriel song is because of a movie called Say Anything. Okay. The um, the image of John Cusack holding the boombox over his head to uh, to win the girl of his affections. That's the song that plays out of it. Because In Your Eyes was not a hit when So came out originally. Oh. So... So, so is such a stacked record. Think about what all is on there. Big Time, Sledgehammer, Red Rain, Don't Give Up, In Your Eyes. Those are just like the big songs. Even the deep cuts are really great Mm. on that record. Hmm. Something to think about for someone who might listen to more. Yes. (laughs) So... No pun intended. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about the meaning of the song. So the song, Peter said that you can interpret it one of two ways. He said this could just be a simple love song between two people, or you could interpret this as the celebration of love as a universal constant thing. And specifically, you could say that this could be between you and God. Nice. Because the all of the all of the expressions of love in here are all about love as a higher power as a as the fabric of the universe itself. It's not about you're so pretty, you've got beautiful eyes, you know, I fall in love when I look in your eyes. It's I want to touch the light and the heat that I see in your eyes. So one could say this is like a worship song. In a way. Interesting. I'm just, In your eyes, the light, the heat, I am complete. That's that's what it felt like because he would say, I am complete in your eyes. And I'm like, huh, that's not something that you necessarily put in a love song. The doorway to a thousand churches. Right. I don't know. It's just, it, it kind of just struck me as being a little bit out of place not in a bad way but it's just like there's something a little bit extra to this and i'm glad it was confirmed yeah and and again i think that that's why it's it's about love that unites and binds people and that's why it's become on stage this big celebration it's the celebration of what love when you have love for other people what it can bring together Mm -hmm. that's so cool this is this is like rock and roll, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> man, there's so many beautiful moments. So the whole intro is not in the original. Like oh. even the whole accepting all I've done and said part, that's not part of the original song. Is and that, the no song starts on the on the on the love. I get lost in it sometime. Like that first real verse in the studio that's where the song starts like there's a whole like that whole first three minutes is not in the original wow man 
I'm I'm listening to it right now, and they're singing in Swahili again. Mm-hmm. Is that everybody? So yeah, that's those are all the those are all the uh, extra singers that have come up, and and once that part happens, that's where the song normally ends. Wow. And so the whole section after that is all exclusive to the live version. Because it's only like a four-minute song in the studio. So this is like the definitive version. Yes, I absolutely. When I when I did my ranking, I did the live version because it's like this is the best and definitive version of the song. You really understand what the song is actually about when you hear the live version. That's awesome. Wait. So who is on this? What do you mean? Like, like you talked about guest vocalists. Who yeah, so this is where it? Papa Wimba comes up. How many do we? How many guest vocalists do we have? Um, I know there's for sure three, and I know that they also get some extra instrumentalists up as well to pl- be playing like the percussion instruments and. Wait. So then, how many people on this really small stage? A lot. Now, at this point, there's not a big old tree in the middle, so it's, you know, they have a lot of room in the middle to kind of move around each other. This is awesome. I would like to do this when my solo career, you know, gets kickstarted. <laughs> here, here, in a, here in a few weeks, you know, after, you know, I'll start my world tour. Yeah. And end in uh, Vienna, Austria, and maybe I'll bring Peter Gabriel as a guest vocalist, you know? <laughs> let's let's talk about the catharsis moment. Yes, so of, for me, of all the moments in here, we for me it's when it's best. it's when it's down, and and Peter says Jean Claude and that piano line comes in. Every single time, it brings tears to my eyes because it's so majestically beautiful, and it's it is this moment of we're gonna go for one more. This is this is the last moment. Let's make it big. Like Man. you know, you know something great's gonna happen once that piano kicks in. Yeah, because they're not quite done. Mm-hmm. Like, because you could, you think at that point, oh, maybe the song's over. It's just gonna kind of fade here. Because you enough has been done to justify ending there. Mm-hmm. And he does that last accepting all I've done and said. And he says, it's in your eyes. And you just, you think, okay, it's it. And then he's like, nope, do it again. <sighs> and and then you get that last big joyful in your eyes where the conga line starts. Man. And then you just get that nice, beautiful tender where he just, it, everything cuts out and he just does one last a uh, little refrain before it finally ends. Oh yeah, and the and the huge harmony. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a it's a glorious, great way to end the set. It's a great way to end the show. Yeah, with your eleven and a half minute cathartic moment, bunch of guest vocalists, your definitive song. And it's all it's it's about something that's nice and wholesome. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's the good ending, you know. Yeah. So that's that's the way to do it. I mean, of course, like I speak with any authority. <laughs> <laughs> I know for a fact that this is the way it fact. must be done. This, 
This is the best way. This is the way I have spoken. <laughs> I have spoken. Yeah. Man. And yeah, it goes back down to that tender moment. I don't know if there's, for me, any particular moment in this song other than that improv section that hugely stood out. But that doesn't mean like the rest of the song was bad. I mean, this whole song is really, really, really good. I mean, there, it was such a nice progression. I told, you know, I prefaced this by saying it wasn't, didn't feel like it was 11 and a half minutes. I think the whole thing was just very cathartic. It was, it stayed in major the whole time. It was very optimistic. Just, I don't know if I could pinpoint on a moment for me personally, but I think that if there was something to pinpoint as the catharsis, I think you hit the nail right on the head. So, I, and again, it's just, I, I literally can't help it every single time. Like I get choked up, I get tears and that's for me, that's always a sign of that's the catharsis moment right there. Yeah. Well, my, my gut tells me with that catharsis moment, we got some, we got some uh, final thoughts to think. Yes, we do. So we're going to take another break. When we come back, we're going to have our final thoughts about Peter Gabriel and his secret world. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about the six songs from our Peter Gabriel Secret World episode. Just a reminder, those songs are Come Talk to Me, Steam, Shaking the Tree, Blood of Eden, Don't Give Up, and In Your Eyes. The way that you can listen to those songs is there's a link in the description of the episode that takes you to a Spotify playlist. Please make sure that you check out these songs, specifically that you check out these versions of these songs and that you listen to them in the order that they're in. You might just get something new out of them. I also highly recommend looking up the, the videos of these songs on YouTube because there's such an important visual aspect to these songs that just adds so much to them. But now it's time to talk about our final thoughts. So we actually didn't even really do our first thoughts. So, um, Grant, where did you start off with in Peter Gabriel going into this episode, and where are you now? Well, so I probably started at like six. I mean, six or seven. But but if there was a 6.5, that'd be it. Because there were some Peter Gabriel songs that I just loved. I mean, Big Time, amazing. Red Rain, amazing. Salisbury Hill, really love that song sledgehammer who doesn't you know but some like the other songs on our first set didn't necessarily stand out to me as much and so i was thinking oh maybe just these songs are the highlights right and so that's probably that maybe that tipped me over to a seven um and i obviously i definitely respected him and this whole month has increased my respect for him already um you know talking about what he did in Genesis and the weird costumes and the fact that he wanted, you know, everything to be visually um, interesting as well as auditorily. I thought that was really, really respectable. And he treated himself like a, like a real member of the band, even though he wasn't like a writer, he'd write lyrics and he'd contribute in that way. And, and that was really cool to like, I don't know, see that. Cause that's not a big thing in prog groups. You'd necessarily have like the vocalist, be like such a big part unless they were an 
instrumentalist, right? I mean, we talk about like James Labrie almost being kind of shut out from the whole thing. <laughs> so, you know, because they don't want him to mess it up or whatever the, the reasoning is. But And so that was cool to see a, a prog vocalist, like a, a true vocalist in such a different light to really be like the, the leader, the spearheader, at least live. Um, and then, of course, we talked about this episode, you know, talking about him live himself on his solo career and you know i'm gonna go i'm gonna go into a weirder final thought i haven't done a weird final thought in a while so i I love your real final thoughts i went to the tu osu football game today and of course i was rooting for tu because i'm a tu student right and drive an hour right no tu student is going to drive an hour to go to an away tu football game because we're going to lose right we're not that great of a football team um we don't have the biggest school spirit or whatever. And so I'm not used to being in a stadium with a lot of school spirit, right? But all the OSU students definitely are. And so they'd have their little chants and they'd beat the sticks against the side of the stadium and they'd do the orange power across the, the stadium. I thought that was really, really cool because every single person there, well, 95% of the people there were rooting for OSU, and like you couldn't help even though i should have been rooting against them you couldn't help just be like wow like when a whole bunch of people get together and they have like this shared just like love of their school for example you get like that feeling of like camaraderie and whatever and we talked about that within your eyes and i thought that was really cool and having a lot of great musicians come together and having a lot of different um piece or parts of music taken from different parts of the world to come together to turn into whatever this wonderful concoction was. It was really nice to listen to. So I wanted to do a weird final thought and I haven't done one in a while. So there you go. But I'd have to say I probably am a solid seven now for sure. All of these songs I really, really liked. Um, some of them I obviously liked more than others, right? My favorite ones got to be steam Oh, I love that horn section. That's what did it for me was the horn section. If it didn't have the horns, mm, man, it'd probably be come talk to me or in your eyes or maybe shaking the tree. I don't know. But it was the horn section that definitively put me as a as a steam steam fan. So, yeah, I'm definitely seven. Could be going on eight. We'll see. I think I. Well, I'm busy for the next few days, so unfortunately, you know, before we record the next episode, I probably won't get time to actually watch The Secret World, but I will have time to listen to it. I mean, I did listen to um, Phil Collins, but seriously, I thought that had a nice uh, flow to it where it started really big and then it got to the more intimate songs towards the end. Really enjoyed that. It was an experience. It definitely wasn't one of those where you got part of the way through the album and you're just like, I can't listen to the rest of this, you know? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I'm hoping I'm going to get some of that from uh, the secret world live, because if you put this much work into the visuals that you were discussing, I mean, and you're a musician, you got to put that much work into what people are actually hearing. We've got a great group of musicians who really obviously know what they're doing. Um, There's, there's no way that can be a bad experience. So I will, I will do my best to listen to this before we record next time and also listen to the songs for next time. So um, hopefully some of the listeners will 
join me on this journey. And maybe you guys will have your own thoughts to share with us in the comments or on our Instagram. Another shameless plug. Um, I think that's the end of my final thought. Right. <laughs> so what about you? <laughs> so um, starting off Peter Gabriel, Peter Gabriel's always been one of my one of my favorites, one of my go-tos. Um, he wasn't, he didn't get in as early as Phil and Genesis did. It was, it was more when I got to, uh, when I got to college, like I had had a couple of, of Peter Gabriel songs that I really liked, um, before then. Cause I'd had some on my, on that, on the iPod that my dad had given me Uh big time in particular was kind of one of the ones that even when I was younger was always you know, a go-to for me and Sledgehammer and Salisbury Hill, but that was kind of it. And when I got to college, that's when I found Secret World. Uh, my dad just said, hey, I want us to watch this together sometime. And so we watched it and I was just like, oh, okay, I'm, I got to listen to more Peter Gabriel. And that's when I got his greatest hits and found a bunch of other cool songs. And then of course, just fell in love with all of the Secret World songs but I didn't really listen to a lot of his albums until getting ready for the first Peter episode. And that's kind of when I really got to get in touch with some of the deep tracks and really start to get a true sense of what kind of artist he was. And so going into this episode, I would have said that I was like a, a really strong eight, maybe veering into a nine just because of how much Secret World meant to me. After this episode, I would say that it's a firm nine at this point. The the great creativity that he shows and just the, the way that he incorporates all the world music into what he does and his philosophy on it. And learning also throughout this whole month about more about his time with Genesis. It really reflects now, makes a lot more sense of a lot of the choices he made in his solo career. And he really is a singular talent. There's never been anyone like Peter Gabriel. He is truly unique as an artist. He's done stuff that really no one else has done. And when you hear a Peter Gabriel song, you know that it's him. Not just by his voice, but just the way that the song is put together. No one puts songs together the way that he does. And discovering a lot of his ambient soundtrack work is was surprisingly cool. I normally don't like listening to that part when I'm doing all of my research, but I really liked his. Mm-hmm. Some of some of his best songs have been from some of that soundtrack work. Oh wow. Some of the so, instrumental soundtrack. Um, there's some other soundtrack stuff that he's done that have words that I ranked a little higher, but even still. So my favorite song, I mean, there's three that are really close. Shaking the tree is just the one that I have the most fun while listening to. It's the one that I enjoy singing along to the most and it gets me moving don't give up probably connects to me the most on an emotional spiritual level. And then in your eyes is kind of just like the objectively right choice. 
It's just it's the one that's overall just the strongest. I think I think I'm gonna have to go with Don't Give Up. Mm. I think it's the one that's meant the most to me as time has gone on, and I think that that is a definitely a necessary factor. Mm. So let's talk about where not only these songs, but the songs from our previous episode land on the ranked playlist. Yes, the ranked playlist, the the almighty. Almighty. (laughs) It is an almost complete discography. Um, There's a a couple of rarities records that I didn't have the time to get into, Mm -hmm. but like all of his major releases are included in the ranked playlist. So um, I'm I'm sorry, Grant, but but Steam comes in at number sixteen. Oh, so this is the lowest of them all. Yes, that's why you were surprised. I, I will. I just also I was thinking because you always just have a a bias against the second song in a set. Oh, I forgot that I do. Yeah, I forgot about that. And so I was thinking you were going to say this was another another second song slump. Nope. Not even close. Now, Steam is still great. It's it's he has an incredible top twenty five. Let me tell you. Um, number fourteen, Shock the Monkey. Thirteen, Salisbury Hill. Twelve, Big Time. Ten, Come Talk to Me. Uh, eight, Here Comes the Flood. Seven, Blood of Eden. Six, Shaking the Tree. Five, Red Rain. Four, Sledgehammer. Two don't give up and one in your eyes. Wow! So we so still got number three sitting out there. But we're we're really kind of top loading, but we still got a lot to go. So we do. Three will still be really interesting. Man, what what do you think we're gonna do for volume three? We're gonna go. Out? We're gonna go to his. We're gonna go to his first four records. Ooh. Okay. Because they are definitely, it's definitely a series. When he when he did so, his fifth record, that was a definite breaking away, starting something new. Okay. And I already have a pretty good idea of some of the songs that I want to do. And, num- and the number three song would be part of that. Hmm. Something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Harry's pick. I bet, I bet it's the um steam please um he did really like steam but i his his favorite i think was shaking the tree oh man okay he he loved because he also got to see the video and he he loved when they would do the dance around the tree that that makes sense but he also loved he was just like Every time he says steam, the steam comes out. <laughs> yeah. But his all-time favorite Peter Gabriel song is Shock the Monkey. Ooh. Because he thinks that it's silly. It kind of is. Uh, and then Callie's pick, my wife, she also went with Don't Give Up. She loves the emotional songs. The no, sad songs. That makes sense. Do we have an Andy's pick? Is it Steam? His <laughs> favorite is also Don't Give Up. Oh my goodness. Is anyone's favorite Steam? Probably not. Oh man, okay. But that's well, okay. You, you can be the first at it. I, 
I can be the I can be the trailblazer when it comes to favorite Peter Gabriel songs. Peter yeah. Gabriel can trailblaze the world music, and I can trailblaze which of his songs are the best. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Well, that's our episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for joining us on this uh, on this Genesis themed month. I'm so excited to go see them in November. Hopefully, please don't let it get canceled. And uh, I'll have to let you guys know how it is when I go. But next week is the next part of our History of Music series. So it won't be Genesis themed. But we're going to be talking about the man Mozart next week. So you'll make definitely want to make sure that you tune in for that. It's actually going to be a part one that will finish up in October as well. We're doing a part one, part two for Mozart. Yeah. Wow. But you'll understand why when we like, there's a, there's a specific reason why this, this better be worth my while. Oh, it will be. I assure you. It's Mozart. That's true. That's true. It is. So make sure you tune in next week for that. We've got new episodes every Monday at midnight. And you just make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And uh, make sure you check out the songs in uh, Spotify. There's a link in the description of the episode. The other link will take you to our Patreon page where we uh, have our exclusive segment, the Bad Music Podcast. We're going to talk about Peter Gabriel's six worst songs. Uh, Spoiler alert, though, I don't think they're as bad as Phil Collins' six worst songs. Whoa. Whoa. But we'll talk about that when we get there. We'll have to talk about that here in a few minutes. So patrons, join us there. This is going to be a debate because we're already starting it off. You know what? In the episode so I can debate with you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Make sure to also check us out on Instagram and Facebook. That's where we get to have the easiest time connecting with you guys. And that's it. We'll see you next time. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Keep on listening to good music.